Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Before we go on, I just want to give a quick shout out to Brilliant, who are our sponsors for this episode. Brilliant is pretty much the best place to learn math, science, and computer science online. A lot of the maths that we're taught in schools focuses on memorizing some method and getting good at repeating that method in an exam. But the best thing about Brilliant is that it actually helps you develop intuition and real understanding of the concepts. They have a great series of courses on the fundamentals of probability and statistics, which I think are a super important topic for everyone in the 21st century. Learning and understanding this stuff will really change the way you see the world. Uh, so go to brilliant.org forward slash not overthinking. And the first 200 people to sign up via that link will get 20% off an annual subscription to the site. Big thank you to Brilliant for Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Timo, how are you doing today? Did great, man. We had our first proper snow here in St. Albans today. It was looking so nice. It was like sick. Went out for a walk with uh, with our mum. That was nice. Went out for my daily walk in the snow as well. Yeah, it was just looking so magical. Like the snowflakes were huge. We've got these really nice sort of uh, really tall pine trees and conifers, which, you know, look like Christmas trees. Um, yeah, it was just looking really lovely. So that was nice. Um, I think it's, it's been a good week generally as well. So last night we had uh, the second... Uh, the second ever not overthinking members Zoom calls. So uh, if in case you missed it, we now have a not overthinking members community. There's about 60 people uh, in the Slack group right now. Uh, and last night we had a member Zoom call. About 23 people um, were on the call. And it was just like a chill hangout. So the week before we did a much more structured, much more regimented call where you were taking us through like how to do a weekly review and we were all kind of doing a weekly review together. Um, and then this time we thought, okay, let's like make it more free flowing and just, you know, just hang out and chat about stuff. Uh, and I think it worked really well. I mean, I had a really good time. Um, yeah, I think people seemed, you know, really engaged. I'd say like out of the 23, probably like somewhere between 10 and 15 people spoke at least once. And then there was a, a core of like six to 10 people that were sort of speaking fairly frequently during the discussion. Is that, does that seem about right to you? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was pleasantly surprised by how free, how well everything flowed in a, in a free flowing discussion. I think 23 was a good number of people. Um, there's definitely yeah, a, I, Dunbar li uh, a Dunbar limit to the size of a Zoom call, but I don't think we were. Yeah, yeah, I wonder how it would have worked if there were more people. But I, I think, yeah, there was like, it was a good amount of people to be able to have like a discussion where lots of people were actually participating. And, you know, other people were like typing on the chats. And that was sort of like a, a slightly different thread of conversation about the same topic. Um, yeah, it was just a really cool setup. I just thought it was like so cool to be sitting in my room and just hanging out with a bunch of random people around the world. And yeah, just having having a great time for a couple of hours on a Saturday. It was sick. It was magical. Yeah, man. I was I was uh, surprised by how much I enjoyed it as well because initially in my calendar I was like oh you know this is an hour like what are we going to do for an hour but then you know the hour passed and it was into hour two and I was like oh this is actually just quite a quite a pleasant way to yeah, spend yeah. a Saturday evening yeah yeah so I think that was great um, yeah we're still figuring out like you know exactly how the community should work but I think these you know weekly Zoom calls are pretty good uh, I think people enjoyed it so we'll probably do you know, one of those every week uh, we've also now decided on a transcription service for the podcast. 
And so very soon we should have all the episodes properly transcribed with uh, sort of nice interactive show notes where you can kind of uh, click, you know, click on a paragraph and hear the person say it out loud and all this kind of stuff and, and, and sort of um, do a full text search on the whole sort of corpus. So you can search for a word like kids or something and you'll see like all the mentions of kids in all the episodes and you can kind of, yeah, um, make sense of things that way. So that, that should be pretty cool as well for members. Yeah, I wonder how much people actually read transcriptions of podcasts. Like, I almost never read Tim Ferriss's, or, and I've signed up to Farnham Street's transcripts. Again, never read them, but I guess it's a service for some people. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be interesting if... I think highlights from podcasts are useful. So I use an app called Air Audio to take, like, 15-second uh, highlights. To be fair, I actually have never gone through the highlights, <laughs> but I like that they exist. And if, that's, if that was somehow synced up to my Readwise, which resurfaces highlights every day, I think that would be really valuable and yeah if there was a way you know if there was like a particularly good part of a podcast episode if there was a way you could like add it to your instapaper or like highlight it and you know send it to readwise or something i think that would be pretty interesting yeah yeah definitely but yeah i'm not sure how that actually works we'll see um work in progress uh and then the final big change in my life is that i now have i now have a painting in my room you can see it in the background if you're watching this on youtube um I now have a sofa in my room as well. That's what I'm sitting on if you're watching this on YouTube. And so now I now have upgraded my Zoom setup where I'm now sitting on a sofa, got a nice kind of background going on, kind of good vibes. Yeah, I'm happy with it. What do you think? I think it looks pretty good. Have you have you had many compliments from people on the internet about it? I mean, the sofa, the sofa and painting background has only been here since yesterday. Uh, but yeah, the, all of this week, like I upgraded to the fancy camera and fancy mic for Zoom calls for over the past like two weeks or something. Uh, and yeah, I find it's a good icebreaker. Usually like on a call, people will open with like, oh man, like love your setup, man. Like, you know, what is that kind of thing? Yeah. I find that that's usually the ice, my, my go-to icebreaker. Be like, oh, I'm loving that shelf in the background. And it's a good, mm. a good way of like easing into the Zoom call. Yeah. How's your week been? I think it's been pretty good. I can't quite remember what's happened this week. I feel like, was this the week where we launched the part-time YouTube? Oh yeah. We launched the part-time YouTuber Academy on Monday morning, Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. And we decided to cap it at 200 people for cohort two. And we doubled the prices. And I thought, okay, you know, I was I was thinking in the shower that morning that if we can get overall 50 people in the cohort, that would be great. Yeah. We were going to have the cart open for three weeks. And for most of early January, I was semi-stressing out about, you know, all of the different marketing content we were, we were going to be putting out and, you know, putting content out on the socials each day and creating like a, an email funnel and marketing automation list, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. And then I was in the middle of a Zoom call when 4 p.m. hit and the car opened. And I just started getting messages on Slack from Angus and Elizabeth being like, oh my God, have you seen how many sales we've got? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, we, we sold out of the first 100 in seven minutes and we sold out of the next 100 within like the next three hours. And I'm like, bloody hell, like all this <laughs> sort of, I'd, I'd built up that, oh my God, <laughs> like hard to sell in my head for so long and was like the only thing that I was like, I don't have a lot of stress in my life, but this was a source of minor stress that are we going to sell okay. enough seats for this to be legit? And we just sold yeah. that immediately. So that That's was sick. really quite nice. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it was good because as the sales were coming in, uh, we sort of me, Angus and Elizabeth hopped on a Zoom call that they just posted in the Slack. And we were just like, oh, my God. And, you know, refreshing the page together. And it was, it was, it was nice. It was, it was quite wholesome. 
That sounds like great vibes. Wait, so how did, was there like um, a waiting list where people would be notified once it opens or something? And so people were just signing up off the waiting list or what? Yeah, so we'd sent an email out a few days prior saying, hey, it's going to open at 4 p.m. GMT, so put it in your calendars. And then when 4 p.m. hit, we'd scheduled an email to go out to the mailing list. Yeah. Which had, I think, about 4,000 people on it saying, cards now open, go, go, go. And yeah. just like, they just got snapped up absolutely instantly. So, Sick. yeah, it's been pretty good. So when's the cohort kicking off? Cohort's kicking off mid-February. So the challenge now is that, you know, we've still got another three weeks to go until mid-February. So we want to keep the momentum going while it's still high. And we're thinking about how do we really make this like as fantastic an experience for the students as possible. And one thing I was thinking is that, um, you know, we've got, if we have a cohort of like 300 people, so 200 new students and maybe 100 returning students, it would be nice if we can break them up into like, you know, into, like groups, groups of between 20 and 30 and have one person on the team be responsible for a group, kind of like the college system, whereby we track the data and are they doing the homework and are they attending the Zoom sessions and we actively reach out to people who are in danger of falling off because a big part in an online course like this is actually in the accountability and the community. Yeah, yeah. If they do the work, they will get enormous value out of it. But if they don't, then they won't get any value out of it and they're going to feel bad for not having done the work. Yeah. And so we're trying to create a system where we can kind of outreach, uh, sort of in my, in my head, I call it uh, our no child left behind policy. <laughs> <laughs> Where, whereby we can outreach to people who, for example, haven't finished homework assignment number one, be like, hey, everything okay? Anything we can help with? Yeah, yeah. And we did, and we did some of those in the last cohort halfway through. And we got loads of replies from people being like, oh my God, thank you so much for reaching out. And like, you know, honestly, it's, it's not you, it's me. You know, you know, my kids have just been crazy and therefore I haven't had the time to film the videos and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were a few people who were like, oh, actually, you know, the thing that's holding me back is not knowing what my niche is. And then that's a very easy problem that we can solve. Yeah. So it's that stuff we're trying to do now just to make the experience as great as it can be. And nice. yeah, part of me is thinking that, you know what, next time, why don't we just not cap the cohort size? Because really, like if we can create solid systems mm. to keep track of all the students this time around, yeah. then even if we have a thousand people in a cohort, all that requires is to hire a few more people on the team to yeah, yeah. kind of manage, manage the system. And there's no reason why we should cap a cohort at 200. So yeah, it's all, it's all fun and games, really. Yeah, that sounds sick. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And I guess kind of on... Apart from that, it's just kind of focusing on trying to write the book. And so I've been doing lots of informal chats and formal interviews with people who think a lot about meaning and purpose and productivity and things. And anytime I have a phone call with someone, I always think, damn, this is a, this has been a really useful phone call to have. And yeah, we're just sort of shaping, shaping up the argument in the book. Why were you stressed out about whether enough people would sign up to the YouTuber Academy? Um, I think I, I still have a, a fear of selling uh, the fear being like, you know, it went well last time. What if that was just fluke and we're increasing our prices significantly? So what if at this price point, no one's going to buy because they won't see the value in it? And yeah, I think it just is. It's, it's a throwback to when I was selling Paxoc ball tickets in my third year of uni in 2015, thinking, oh, my God, I'm selling snake oil here. And I think it's it's it, it just feel, feels hard to get over that that fear of what if what if no one buys from us? And so I was doing the usual like. Um, mental shenanigans of well you know even if we had like five people that would still be a good experience and it would still be fun and and stuff but what would be so what, what's the actual fear if no one buys like you know it's not like you need this to pay the bills no yeah it's not it's not i, th I think it's more that um for example if we sell out a cohort we make half a million pounds and just having having that in my head is like you know this is a, a remote possibility yeah, yeah. It means that it's like you know 
we don't quote need the money to pay the bills but when and this is partly why i i'm not i'm not too good at setting goals or thinking about outcomes is that i feel like if we didn't hit that then i would feel disappointed oh so it's like you know let's try and let's try and get as close as possible to that and you know in the shower that morning thinking well if we, if we can get 50 that's still like a you know it's still a relatively profitable course etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah yeah okay that's interesting wait one second i'm just going to switch to my other wi-fi you've got two wi-fis that's very upwardly socially mobile all right we're back so what are we talking about this week one thing that's kind of been on my mind that i've been thinking about are, on, are you on a... are you on your proper microphone or you're on airpods i am on my proper microphone Okay, cool. That's fine. It sounds a bit weird to my ears, but maybe because I'm on AirPods. But yeah, sorry, continue. One thing that I've been thinking about recently is that it's kind of related to hedging. You know, we've talked about, you know, always, I think when I talk, I'm, I'm like constantly hedging. I'm constantly, you know, trying to make sure that I'm not making any kind of strong claims or strong statements. And I'll use the words like might or possibly and some people rather than people and you know uh all of, all of this kind of stuff uh to sort of yeah i guess to sort of express a level of epistemic humility you know what does epistemic mean sorry what does epistemic mean i feel like you ask this every episode it's just I feel like, like whenever... knowledge and, and stuff oh okay sorry i'm not very epistemic <laughs> <laughs> so like epistemic humility would be kind of recognizing that you know, the, the things that, yeah, it's kind of about like recognizing the limits of your knowledge and the limit, you know, the limits of your own, of what you can know and perceive and things like that. Right. Um, and so this came up in a discussion with Lucas, my co-founder where, you know, with causal, we have a certain approach, uh, we're building a very general number crunching tool and all that, and all that stuff. There are a few products that, well, I'm not sort of directly competing with these things yet, but there are a few products that are trying to solve some of the same problems, but with a different approach. Um, for example, their approach is, uh, yeah, it's not, the details aren't too important, but their, their approach is different. And I think I have pretty strong conviction that their approach is wrong and that our approach is right. <laughs> and in the past, if I was having this discussion, I would have like, you know, done the whole hedging thing where it's like, hmm, you know, based on what we've seen, you know, <laughs> I think their approach, you know, might run into <laughs> X, Y, and Z issues possibly. <laughs> and, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> our approach, you know, <laughs> you know, all of this kind of stuff. But I, I decided to stop talking like that a few weeks ago. <laughs> and I, instead, I just, you know, was a lot more direct about like <laughs> right their approach is obviously wrong <laughs> they're gonna they're about to spend the next 12 months learning x y and z which we already know to be true <laughs> and our approach is right for these reasons um ki kind of thing <laughs> and lucas thought that was me being yeah like arrogant or something and not uh not appropriately accounting for the uncertainty in my beliefs um which is funny <laughs> oh the irony <laughs> yeah and and i think a few months ago like yeah even even as as recently as a few months ago i would have been lucas in that discussion if someone had like said those things i would have been like no man you need some epistemic humility like you don't know that there's uncertainty all this kind of stuff but now i just i just don't care for it <laughs> you know <laughs> and i think 
I know. I think the epistemic humility stuff is good. I don't think I've like let go of that. I still, I think I still have that, but I think there is something to be said for having actual conviction in things and not like falling prey to, yeah, not like drowning in the uncertainty of the world where you feel, you don't feel like you can make any kind of, uh, you know, substantial statement about how, how the world works. Right. And there were a couple of articles I read recently related to this. Um, well, actually one was a tweet by Agnes Callard, who else about, uh, let me find it actually. It kind of reminds me of the whole, uh, strong opinions loosely held kind of vibe. Yes. Yeah. I think it's related to that. Yeah. So I, Agnes tweeted uh, in December, I might have actually even mentioned this on the podcast. She said, it's paradoxical that epistemic humility shields one from experiences of being humbled. For example, if we discover aliens, would you rather be blasé, thinking kind of, oh, I never I never assumed they didn't exist, or would you rather be bowled over, thinking, oh, I can't believe this, like, there's aliens. And so is this, it, it, it's sort of protecting us from having to say, oh my God, like I was wrong about this thing. Is that like really humility? Um, and uh, yeah, that that definitely kind of made me take a step back and think about how I talk and how I talk to myself about my beliefs about things. And then there was another post. Let me just dig it up from my uh, my Insta paper. Your second brain? No, no, third third brain. Just give me a moment, okay? Just give me a sec. It's all right, mate. The pauses are going to get cut out. It's too much hedging on your part. Man, it's still so hard to find things. <laughs> Bloody hell. Notes? Is it my Insta paper highlights? I know I DM'd it to a friend on Twitter, so if if it's not in the highlights, that's where I'm going next. Just in case anyone's interested in the thought process here. Right. To the Twitter DMs we go. On a separate note, I think we should do Q&As for the podcast more often. What does that mean? As in taking questions from the audience and just chatting about them. What made you think about that? Because I was, I was going through my Castro the other day and... I was thinking that a lot of my favorite episodes of podcasts are where the host is not interviewing someone, but is actually just answering questions from the audience. <laughs> I feel like it's a very... Really? It's, like, it's, it's, it's always like solid content. It always brings out more interesting things than when they have a, a specific topic to discuss, I think. Yeah, that could be interesting. I'm down for that. Yeah, maybe the members, members community can submit some questions. Just give me a sec. Okay, yeah, I can't find the article, but actually, so this is uh, end of November, via the Twitter DMs with his friend, and we were, we were talking about some company, and my friend, uh, oh yeah, I think my friend described something as a shitty idea, and my response was, um, you know, like, how, how strongly do you actually believe that, like, like or are you just kind of sort of being quite loose with your words, just for fun or whatever, uh, and, and this friend said, he said, the issue, mate, is that you don't have strong enough convictions. Uh, I think you're too open-minded about things. Uh, and you know, he and I have talked about this before. Uh, and in this case, I was like, look, yeah, you know, we've talked about this. In this case, you know, I'm, I'm not like the target customer. <laughs> you know, like, why would I know whether this, this is like a good idea or a bad idea? Um, and this friend thought that, well, he said, mate, so that's where you have to be more opinionated. I'm not afraid of being wrong, but I will say that I think it's a shit idea. Um, and he said, I think it's because I'm more decisive and maybe happier to be wrong. Not good, good qualities always, to be clear. But I think you know, I am in general more opinionated and happier to criticize and happier to be proven wrong. Um, whereas I guess my general stance is to not really hold many strong opinions. Yeah, to not really go out on a limb, really. Hmm. Interesting. And you've been changing this recently. 
I think so. I think I've I've been changing this recently. And look, I think part of this is just like a, I think part of this is just um, a shift in my own personal aesthetic sensibilities of like, it's, I'm I'm just I'm just bored of the hedging, man. <laughs> I'm bored of the epistemic humility. It's it's just more fun to <laughs> kind of just be a bit more straight up about things and like just hold some beliefs. <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> right? Um, and I think this is this is related to the. It, it's kind of related to the trying to try thing, where uh, you know, as a recap, if you say, you know, if if someone says, I am going to. All right, there's a piano next to me. If someone says, I'm going to learn the piano, you know, it is it is already implied that they're going to try to learn the piano. It's already implied that they're going to make an attempt to learn the piano. If you say, I'm going to learn the piano, like no one thinks with 100% certainty that like this person is going to learn the piano. Obviously, like there's some chance this won't work out. It's already there in the language. When you say, I'm going to learn the piano, there's already some like uncertainty there. If you say, I'm going to try to learn the piano, then like your mindset about it is different and you can you can do things that are trying to learn the piano, which are obviously not learning the piano. Um, and so you're kind of trying to try. So when, when you say, I'm going to learn the piano, you're actually going to try to learn the piano. And so when you say, I'm going to try to learn the piano, you're actually going to try to try to learn the piano. And, and so I think in the same way, like if someone, you know, if I say like, oh, I think that I think X is bad or whatever, like inherent in the fact that I'm expressing something is that is that like, you know, there, there's a chance I'm wrong, you know? If if I say I think X is bad, I'm 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 not trying to say that like it is objectively true that X is bad. And so for me to do all the hedging and the sort of the boring language around, mm, yeah, potentially I think there's a small chance that in X, Y, and Z scenarios, you know, this thing is bad. Like there's just no need for it. It's so boring. It's so annoying. Hmm. Yes, I I broadly agree. I used to th- th- this general thought has has crossed my mind when i'm on podcasts uh and if i'm if i'm being interviewed on a podcast i feel much more okay with not hedging when making a statement really why i think because probably because i feel like i'm in a in a position of authority when i'm being interviewed on a podcast and therefore if i make a strong claim and i know that i prefer podcasts where the where the guests make strong claims Okay. Because if I disagree with them, then it's a hard disagree. And if I agree with them, then it's a hard agree. But there's, you know, if there's, if there is a lot of hedging, then you get to a point where you're not really saying anything because of course, everyone is going to agree with you. Yes. Because, because of course, in certain circumstances where X, Y, and Z are true, then this thing is probably possibly, you know, likely to be true as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so like w- one phrase that I often say that, that, that comes to mind is I don't think anything is fun as a full-time job. Okay. Yeah. And any any time I, I find myself saying that, part of me thinks, "Oh, I should be hedging here because, yeah, obviously, you know, depending on who you are and depending on blah 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 blah." But actually, I I do strongly believe that nothing is fun as a full time job, and I will happily argue that with anyone who wants to do wants to argue it, and open to changing my mind on that front. But I don't know, just strongly believe that nothing is fun as a full time job, and uh, I I think that the the difficulty with the hedging thing is, what about on this podcast? like recent episodes we've done about generalizations and misogyny and things like that, where we kind of said that, look, if we, I, we, we, we landed at the, we landed at a place where we were, where we both agreed that there does need to be some level of hedging at the start, some level of caveating, some level of trigger warning. Like, you know, I, think if that's I, diff- I think that's a different kind of hedging. I think that is like foreseeing ways that things might be able to be misinterpreted. 
Is that not the same as your type of hedging? You know, if I were to say, I, I don't think anything as fun as a full-time job, I, you know, <laughs> foreseeing no, no, ways no. into which that could be interpreted, it would require no, no, hedging no, no. at the start. No, no, I, I think I think the kind of hedging, we, you know, that was more relevant in the misogyny episode, for example, is hedging where we're talking about something and someone might misinterpret what we're trying to say. I think the kind of hedging I'm talking about here is the hedging that kind of weakens your statements so that it's so that there's like zero chance of you being wrong, like saying something that is untrue. It's it's not about like misinterpretation. It's more like dilution. It's it's almost like dilution rather than hedging, I guess. I I I, I, I think the the hedging for to not be misinterpreted. I think hedging is actually the wrong word for it. I think hedging is the right word for this, for the dilution thing, but whatever. Um, we don't need to get into that. Do you, do you agree with that? Do I agree with, do I agree with what? That hedging the, the, is, the, the, is the wrong sort of word. Well, that those two things are different. One thing is like the, the sort of epistemic humility rubbish is, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm obviously like <laughs> speaking strongly about this, <laughs> you know, on the theme of the discussion, right? So the, the epistemic humility stuff is more about diluting your beliefs and the, you know, what we've been calling the hedging stuff is more about just like, uh, you know, putting some disclaimers and caveats so that it's it's harder for other people to misinterpret. It's not about dilution. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that yet. Um, so we're, we're saying the difference is dilution versus misinterpretation. Okay. Okay, for example, the kind of hedging that might be appropriate in like the, you know, if we're discussing misogyny or something like that is, you know, if we're, if we're talking about like, Ah, what's a good example? Okay, for example, if you're talking about a a con- controversial or like a difficult issue or something, and you only, you only talk about one aspect of it, one way in which you might be misinterpreted is that people think that the aspect you talked about is the only aspect you care about, or that by only talking about one aspect, you are suggesting that that is the only aspect to it. And so a sort of don't misinterpret me hedging would be before that saying, look, this is a complicated issue. There's lots of aspects of it. We're only talking about one aspect in this podcast, but that doesn't mean this is the only aspect. That doesn't mean we think it's the most important one. You know, we're just talking about this one thing. That that would be a hedging to avoid misinterpretation. It is not a dilution of of what you actually are saying or what you actually believe. Agreed? Agreed. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of another example that, that is outside of that realm of the misinterpretation hedging. See, I... I've got examples in my head that I want to use to just to just ex- explore this point, but I'm. <laughs> Do you need to hedge first? <laughs> I, I, I need to hedge first with those with those specific examples. So I'm I'm trying to find something that is unlikely to offend any minority group of people, even if it's used in just as as a as a as a way of discussing this particular theory. Okay, so if on the podcast we were to hypothetically say that, please don't say anything stupid right now. <laughs> <laughs> just. <laughs> If on the podcast we were to hypothetically say that, you know, women in general are more attracted to confidence or confident men, <laughs> okay. w- to what extent would that need hedging in the form of uh, dilution of the statement versus risk of mit- misinterpretation? It's something I strongly believe, but I feel like it's something if I were to, if I were to say out loud, would require some level of hedging and I wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily be bad for that to be a hedged statement. All right. Give me a second. I need to plug my laptop in. All right. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think I, I. I'm not sure how that could be misinterpreted. Sure, it se- seems like a simple statement, and it sounds like you 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 actually believe it to the strength that most people would interpret what you're saying. So, I mean, look, if it, like if that's what you believe, and you you, <laughs> you decide it's appropriate to say that on the podcast, <gasps> there's no hedging required. Like, I, there's probably not even okay. any dilution required because that's what you actually believe. 
No, but I think I think it's Wait, what are you I think about? the the devil is in the detail there where you said and you think it's appropriate to mention on the podcast awesome. because because hedging potentially makes something more appropriate to mention on the podcast than not. Like the reason we would think something is inappropriate to mention on the podcast is because it's sufficiently controversial or sufficiently polarizing or sufficiently X, whereas hedging reduces the polarizing the polarized nature of a statement that you're saying. For example, if this was a, co- a podcast about business and you were to say, I strongly believe that Airbnb's business model is absolutely terrible. You know, that may be a, a, a very controversial statement amongst the listeners of that of that audience. And, you know, you might not think that that is that that statement by itself is appropriate to make on a podcast. But if you were to hedge it and dilute your statement, which would be like, look, due to all the regulations and stuff, I strongly believe that in some cases, Airbnb's business practices might not be on the ethical side of the law. Blah, 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 blah. That would then make it a more appropriate thing to say on the podcast. Therefore, your dilutional hedging (laughs) makes something more appropriate to say out loud, which is kind of what I'm getting at, which is that you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring for the record. I'm not saying, okay, I'm saying I I, I agree with that particular view, but for the record, this is purely hypothetical exploration of your point about dilutional hedging. You know, like, is it fair to say that dilutional hedging, hedging is bad when it feels like dilutional hedging is sometimes required if you're making a statement, which some people might strongly disagree with on a public platform? All right. All right, let's talk about the Airbnb example. If my true belief is actually that, you know, if Airbnb's business model is inherently flawed, if that's my true belief, then, okay, so maybe I truly believe that Airbnb's business model is inherently flawed. Maybe I think that's too, you know, that's too controversial to say on a podcast. And so what you're saying is maybe I might say, I mean, I'm not trying to be nitpicky here, but like the details do matter because uh, yeah, maybe that was a bad example because there's a difference between saying a company's business model is inherently flawed versus like, oh, in some, in some countries, you know, based on laws and regulations, they're actually like, you know, doing something unethical or something like that. Right. So like, okay, let, okay. Maybe better example is saying, you know, instead of saying, I think Airbnb is evil, I might say, you know, in some countries based on the laws and regulations, Airbnb is operating illegally unethically you know whatever right okay is that a fair example uh yeah yeah i guess so because like what what if the thing that you believed is truly that airbnb is evil is evil like i'm i'm trying to get at the point i'm trying to get at is dilutional hedging is not always bad man sounds for example if i were making a general if i if i were making a general comment if i if i were making a general comment about any group of people I think there would be a level of dilutional hedging that would be required to make it appropriate in a public platform. Yes, fine. Okay, great. <laughs> and therefore, you having a sort of, I, I think in a, in a one-on-one conversation saying that, you know, these other companies that we're competing with are shit uh, because they don't know, have, have life figured out, is very different to you going on a public platform and saying that same thing, right? Yes, I agree. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, it's, 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 it, is, it, it is prudent to, to you know, whatever you want to call it, dilutionary hedge on a public platform on a more public platform than on a less public platform cool is that, is that that's all the point I, you're trying to that's make? all that was that was the only point i was trying to make <laughs> okay i think i think we're in an agreement there are we oh one okay okay so one interesting thing is the, this comes about when when having discussions of religion between atheism and agnosticism um some I, I can't remember where i read this but it was it was in like like some atheists argue that people who say they are agnostic are really ah. lie are, are lying to themselves because agnosticism is like the ultimate hedge the hedge right, position yeah. where it's like i don't really believe in god but i can't 
I, I, I don't have evidence that God doesn't exist. Therefore, I'm going to say I'm, I'm agnostic and no one can call you out for being agnostic. Yeah, Whereas yeah. if you identify as an atheist, all of a sudden you're identifying as an atheist. And that's a big deal with a big D and a, a big B and a, and a big D. And fewer people are comfortable identifying as an atheist. And so, you know, are you really agnostic about the existence of Santa Claus? No, you are atheistic about the existence of Santa Claus. Are you yeah. really agnostic about the existence of God? You know, <laughs> maybe you're just scared of identifying as an atheist. I feel like that that often comes that's that comes into yeah. the hedging thing. Potentially, yeah, um, yeah. I guess I, I'm not I'm not agnostic, so I don't I don't really I I, can't, I don't know what the mindset might be there. It w- it would be interesting to talk to a uh, an agnostic person about that. Uh, but going back to what you thought was a conclusion about it being, you know, you should you should uh, delusionally hedge in a public sphere or something. No, I think it depends. I, I think it depends on the content. Like if you're yeah, saying something, if you're saying something that could cause harm to other people, yeah, dude, delusionally hedge. <laughs> mm. If you're saying something that, that, you know, even if you're like really wrong about it and that, you know, can cause harm to people, probably okay not to dude. you know, just say that Santa Claus is real or whatever, you know, um, do you agree with that? I yeah, think it's I think really more about the content. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think the content matters. The only, the only reason I brought up the podcast example was because the way that you, you were saying it was, it, it sounded like you were, you were anti-dilutional hedging in general. Oh, okay. And I was pushing back on that saying that, well, mm, even I'm pro-dilutional hedging <laughs> in, in, in certain contexts. Yeah, I'd say the context, okay, I'd say, yeah, I'd say in the context where you being wrong about the thing, or even you expressing the opinion, whether it's right or wrong, in the context where either of those two things can like cause harm to people. What do you, what know, do you mean by cause, cause harm to people? Sorry? What do you mean by cause harm to people? Would it cause Just, harm for you to say that Airbnb is evil? Uh, no. So I think what that's do you mean? a fairly safe thing to say. Okay. I mean, look, if, if on issues that are more, more fundamental than Airbnb's ethics, if a public figure, you know, stuff to do with race or gender mm. and things like that, okay. if a public figure were to say something, it can actually cause harm to people, like t- tangible, you know, physical harm, as well as just people feeling bad. I think both is harm to people. So I think that's where it matters to be mindful. Yeah, if you're talking about like some company's business model, I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> no, no, no. Not, nothing really matters either way or, or, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things there. Uh, okay, so I think, I think like, I, I'm not trying to say dilutional hedging is always bad. I'm not trying to say okay. that in the slightest. And this cool. isn't just that's me fine. dilutionally hedging my actual view. Okay, um, let, me, uh, let me call to the stand a blog post we, you know, we may have even talked about this on the podcast. I finally, I finally discovered it. Um, the blog post is called In Defense of Being Confidently Wrong. And this person, uh, I, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Artyom Kazak, maybe. They, um, they noticed that, you know, some people often talk in a way where they'll, they'll often say things like, uh, my mental model of this is X, uh, you know. Or like, it would seem good. It would seem like it's good to do X or like the prudent option would be this. And yeah, I probably, you know, think this or whatever. Um, you know, lots of people talk like that. I think I have a massive tendency to talk like that. Mm. Do, do you agree? Do you feel like you do that as well? Uh, yes. I was, in, I was in a clubhouse uh, interview yesterday and I was doing a lot of hedging in that, in that context. Anytime oh, I was nice. about to make a, a bold statement where I, yeah. I was like, uh, I would tentatively suggest that dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so look, I think 
I think like lots of people do this, certainly mm. me and you included. And th- and this guy, he wrote the blog post. He says that these are all, all ways to uh, put out a thought that you have without actually identifying with it. And he thinks, he, and he thinks if you always phrase things in this way, it means you can never like catch yourself out later by thinking, oh, I was clearly wrong about something. You know, if you say my mental model of this is X and X turns out to be the wrong mental model, technically you you were wrong, but it doesn't feel like you're wrong. You're almost like, um, you're almost like passing the blame onto your mental model, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, my brain was, it, it's, it's my brain that was wrong, not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are, you yourself are never wrong. It's only your mental models. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with having, a, there's nothing bad about having a wrong mental model. A mental model is just something that happens to me. Um, and so if you, if you like always think and always talk in a, a style where you say, you talk about how things seem and what your mental model is, you can entirely, he says, you can entirely avoid two things. You, you entirely avoid A, the feeling of fully believing something, and you also entirely avoid B, the realization that you are 100% wrong about something. Like if you're always talking about what, what things seem to be like, you know, what your mental model is, and, you know, what probably might be true sometimes, you'll, you know, you'll never experience fully believing something and you'll never experience what it feels like to be 100% wrong about something. And, uh, and the interesting point that he makes is that the good thing about, you know, the, if, you ha- if there is the potential of you being confidently wrong about something, um, it kind of, what's a good analogy here? It, it kind of forces you to like really think about your beliefs and things. You know, it's, it's kind of like how if you, were, if you were, let's say you were trying to jump a distance of one meter, right? Okay, one meter is really easy. Let's say you're trying to jump a distance of two meters. That would be, okay, that's also easy. Let's say, <laughs> let's say you were trying to jump a distance of four meters, okay? Like you want to jump a distance of four meters. Now you could just lay out, you know, uh, you know, two lines in the sand, four meters apart and try and make the jump. Yeah, that's one way of doing it. Or you could dig a pit of fire and lava, which is four meters long, and try and jump over that, right? And when the stakes are higher, when there is an actual cost of being wrong, your mindset about how the hell you're going to jump four meters is going to be very different because now, now your life depends on jumping this four meters. <laughs> In the first instance, when you're jumping between two lines on the beach, your life doesn't depend on, on jumping four meters. And so I think there's a good chance that you can jump the four meters when it's over lava, when your life depends on it and you have to do it. And you might end up never jumping the four meters in the sand. And so similarly, like if you actually stake claims to things and you expose yourself to the possibility of being like really confidently wrong about something and having to like put your hands up and say, I thought that was true and I'm wrong. Then like it sort of, it sort of tunes your, uh, your thinking circuits differently where you're actually, you know, you'll, you'll think about things in a, in a different way. uh, And you'll kind of iterate on your beliefs differently. You'll kind of like, you know, whereas if you can always, you know, get away with, uh, oh, it seems like this is the case or whatever. Like there's, there's no stakes. You can, you can go around having really, really, you know, bad mental models, if you want to call it that. You can, you can go around your whole life having really bad mental models because there's never any reason to try and refine them or like try and actually get them right because you're never going to be wrong about it. It's always a probably, it's always a seems to be, right? What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. All right, thank you um, for listening to... <laughs> hold on, hold on. That, that's a joke. Hold on. Again, the, th- the thing that I'm thinking of is open to being confidently wrong publicly versus privately. And are those two different things? 
Hmm. And, and, and like the context I'm thinking of this is, is, is in like, you know, it's, it's very easy for me to be confidently wrong when I'm speaking to my housemate. But it's a different matter to be open to being confidently wrong if I'm making a YouTube video about it. Like, right? Well, I guess the stakes are higher in the YouTube video. Yeah. That's more, that's more closer to the lava, whereas your housemate is like, I don't know, jumping over a four-meter swimming pool or you'd be fine even if you fall in. Maybe you just get wet or something. Um, yeah, I guess so. Like it's that that's not quite what i'm getting at what what i'm getting at is it comes back to okay it comes what's it called the uh overton window of like you know i I feel like a lot of the opinions that i or or you or other people might have that we would be open to be confidently wrong about if they were to see be said publicly they would fall outside of the overton window of acceptable things to say in public wait and so i'm not sure i agree with that sorry i disagree with that (laughs) (laughs) there we go No, I'm actually not sure I, I agree with that because I'm not sure what you said. Yes. Um, you're, you're saying that like the things that we would dilute or whatever to not, the, the things that we close ourselves off from being confidently wrong about are things that it would be socially unacceptable to be confidently wrong about. Quite. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Really? I think so. For example, like historically, I would have I would have closed myself off to being confidently wrong about what the right strategy is for going to market with a number crunching tool, right? Like I, I would have, I would have like hedged and done all that stuff there. And it's probably socially acceptable for me to be wrong about that. I mean, if I'm I, not going to get canceled for that. Sure. But like, if I, for example, strongly believe that climate change is a myth and I were to go out and make a video, a YouTube video where I talk about climate change being a myth, you know, in, in my head being like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay to be confidently wrong about this. I might get canceled for that. <laughs> so what, yeah, but what's the difference? I, I, yeah, yeah, you might, but it, it sounded to me like you were suggesting that the main reason you do the hedging and stuff in public is because the thing, the only things you hedge about are cancelable beliefs. <laughs> is that the case? Okay, no, I, th- I think a, a subset of the things I, 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 of course, yeah, I would be, yeah, are are cancelable beliefs. <laughs> Cancelable <laughs> thought crimes offenses. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah offenses yeah. against the state. Yeah. All that stuff. And so, yeah, it's it's obviously like the right strategy <laughs> to hedge about those things. <laughs> yeah. But okay, do good. you think you do it outside? Uh, there are probably plenty of areas in which you do it, which aren't cancelable territory yet. <laughs> yeah, I think the main area in which I do it is where I feel like I actually like I actually don't have enough data to to form an informed informed opinion about X. Okay, I think that's that's a bit of a trap, and like. Like for example, if you, know, if you were to ask me my opinions on parenting, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can, I can give all the armchair, uh, armchair expertise, expertise on parenting that I want. But like, really, the answer to most questions that I have about parenting are, I don't really know. But I, you know, this is what I'm currently thinking about it. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's, but that's, like, that's like reasonable. That that's reasonable. Like that's that's fine. But like, that's also a stupid example because like, why would you be opining about parenting? It's not. Uh, I don't know. I think do. I think you've done it fairly often <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> I have knowledge that other people don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, look, but for example, if you're, you know, something more in, within your wheelhouse might be, you know, um, I mean, okay, I'd be, I'd be very comfortable to, to say something like, I don't think anyone should check their phones before 1030 because it, it reduces your productivity. I'm happy to be confidently wrong about that one. <laughs> Is that actually how you'd phrase it? Um, I mean... The way, no, the, the 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 way I'd probably phrase it is be like in in a lot of circumstances it's pretty good if you you know set set limits on when you're going to check your email and notifications before ten thirty because realistically nothing bad is going to happen before ten thirty in the morning. Okay, that's that also feels like a trivial example. I think there are situations where yeah. 
It is important to have an accurate analytical model of the world. Okay, and so give me an example where where this is legit outside of your your also trivial example of you know a go to strat- go to market strategy for a number crunching startup. I don't think that's trivial. Right. Like okay, for example, business strategy. Like business strategy, right? Like it's it's not a hard science. There's no there's no exact rights or wrongs, mm. but you, you know. It, you you can always have the mindset of like, well, I, I don't have enough data on this. You know, I haven't tried both strategies. So how, how am I supposed to know? Like that, that, is a, that is a realm where there's a decent amount of uncertainty. There is some data. There are, there are theories you can cook up in your head, but you could drown in the uncertainty if you wanted. And you could put your hands up and say, oh, well, I don't have enough data about this thing. So I'm not going to like, I'm not going to have a position. I'm not going to have any conviction about something. Yeah. And that will, that will, will lead to bad results. Okay, agree. Everyone yeah, knows I think you need to have conviction. Conviction in decision making for, for business is very important. Sure, right. So that's 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 one realm. I mean, look, just like any most things, like like what? what okay, what's a realm outside of business strategy? You're you're dismissing any example I come up with as trivial when I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to think about this. So I I, I I would love to hear examples of yours outside of the realm of business strategy. Okay, let me tell you why I think the phone before ten thirty thing is trivial. I agree, it's trivial. I'm trying to use a trivial extreme example to figure out where the limits of this point are. I mean, there's loads of stuff, right? Like any kind of big decision or thing that has large consequences, for example, you know, choosing a career or, you know, yeah, entering into like a relationship. Like these are all things where there is uncertainty. You could plausibly put your hands up and choose to drown in the uncertainty and not have conviction but it will serve you poorly if you decide to go down that route. Mm, I don't know if it would. If I'm choosing a career at the age of 16, I think, you know, one way of having conviction is I want to be a doctor. And I think that attitude would serve you more poorly than a more hedged attitude of, to be honest, right now, I think I might want to be a doctor based on my very limited life experience. But you know what? Let me actually think about this a little bit harder. Let me get some experience. Let me actually decide if this is really what I want to speak to some people. And let me, you know, wh- when I'm in med school, sure, I'll, I'll try my best. But, you know, if it gets to the point where I feel like this isn't, isn't really what I want to do, I will have an open mind about going into something else. That's a hedged position. And that position will serve people much, much, much better than the position of I've decided at the age of 12, I want to be a doctor and I'm going to go for it with full conviction. Yeah, look, I agree with that. I agree okay. with that. That's <laughs> right. maybe, yeah, that, that might be a realm where you know, collecting a bit of data rather than zero data before making a equally when it comes decision. To, equally, equally when it comes to relationships, you know, if you had had the conviction for a non-hedge decision to, I don't know, marry the first person you had a crush on in, in high school, again, probably suboptimal. There's a level, there's a, there's a level to which dilutional hedging is actually useful when it comes to, to decision-making in these contexts. And I don't think, I think you're drawing a false, a false dichotomy between either you have conviction in decision-making or you drown in uncertainty. And it's not that simple, man. <laughs> I'm not trying to draw any dichotomies. All I'm trying to okay. say is that there exists this trap of thinking and talking in this, uh, always thinking and talking in this way, which A, is just a lame way to live your life, mm. makes you a bit of a loser, and B... <laughs> Ooh, strong. <laughs> <laughs> strong words there. <laughs> Maybe I'm overcompensating a bit here. But yeah, A, is just like a lame way to live. You're like closing yourself off from fundamental things like holding beliefs and being wrong about things and b it like it doesn't it doesn't train you to be right about things right or that, that's what i'm saying i'm saying that there, this is a trap i have fallen into this trap before mm. where i would be extremely reluctant to take a stance on things and now i'm more open to it okay in large part for aesthetic reasons 
aesthetic as in i think it's lame i see okay but also because i do think it's true that if you close yourself off from being wrong you will there's a good chance you'll never be meaningfully right okay uh i uh, the reason i'm not like yeah fine the 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 way you're phrasing it is very delusionally hedged it's that no it's not (laughs) you know it is that accurately represents what i'm trying to say i'm not I, I'm trying to say that there is this trap that I fall into that I think people fall into. I'm not trying to say anything stronger than that. I think it's really context dependent, you know, how much data you need to make a decision, how important conviction is and faith is versus like, you know, being absolutely sure of something. It, it's like completely context dependent, but I have fallen into this trap. Fine. If your only point is there is a trap that sometimes people can fall into and I have fallen into that trap on occasion and I'm trying to think, be more, more mindful of that trap so that such that I may fall into it less, then we have nothing to, to, to disagree on. Because that statement is so hedged. <laughs> that statement is hedged, but I think it's still a meaningful statement and it's a useful statement. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess fine, so. fine. It's it's hedged, but it's, I think it's very meaningful. <laughs> Why? I think lots of people opinion, to... man. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there. Are... I don't think there's a stronger opinion I can have about this because I think it's really context dependent. Mm. I don't know what a stronger opinion would look like here, you know, because it just depends on context. Whereas in the case of I think this strategy is wrong versus oh i think the strategy is possibly maybe sometimes you know well maybe you know there is a strong opinion you can have which is that the strategy is wrong or worse or whatever right okay. but the- yeah, i think i think the main thing i was disagreeing with, with was you was your initial you know, like an hour ago your very first mention of this which is which which which, were, which sounded quite like brash and raised alarm bells in my head because it sounded as, as if you were saying that I want to, you know, in, in the past, I wouldn't have said that this company's business practices are shit. And now I've realized that actually I should be talking like that. And I was like, hold, <laughs> hold, hold the hell up. <laughs> you know, what about this and that and this and that and this and that. But if your only point is this is a trap where it is possible to fall into. And sometimes I fall into that trap and I'm trying to be more mindful of it. Then, hey, sure. Fully agree. Fully in, in full agreement with that. But yeah, I think I probably should should say things like I think that's good or I think that's bad more often than oh maybe like possibly sometimes it seems like yeah i guess so i mean i think we talk about you know this is good and bad on the podcast quite a lot yeah and i think it's also related sorry god i think i think those conversations are like it's 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 more interesting when you say i think the way we treat children right now is bad you know it's like oh okay that's interesting and if someone has someone agrees someone disagrees you've you've made a position clear which encourages some level of discussion whereas if you were to be like, well, I think in some contexts, the way that some people treat some children is bad. Well, literally everyone will be like, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah I, I just have to, have to agree with that statement. There's no interesting conversation to be had about it. Yeah, yeah. I think this is also related to the mind virus of relativism, which is sweeping the lands. Ooh, okay. Well, what does that mean? I had, so yesterday I had a, few, a bunch of Zoom calls with friends. On one of the Zoom calls, no, I, didn't, I didn't bring this up. This wasn't me. This wasn't me. A friend had bought a new monitor and the other friend on the call, um, he bought a new monitor, he bought a, a cheap, crappy new monitor. And the other friend of the call called him out and said, that was stupid. It's a really high measure. And then we got into discussion about the measure stuff. And um, yeah, and, the, and like, you know, we were trying to convince this guy that, look, you should have spent more money on a monitor. Like you spend ages, you spend your whole day on your computer, mate. Like, what are you doing? And a lot of the pushback coming from him were sort of appeals to relativism of like, oh, you know, someone might think that you don't have a, a fancy enough monitor or that you should have an extra monitor, you know, like, you know, someone might equally say that about you, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I think, I think like, 
the sort of yeah there's a danger of like drowning in relativism where you just sort of put your hands up and say like well you know <laughs> anything goes just, yeah anything goes right <laughs> And again, you're you're closing yourself off from being wrong, but you're also closing yourself off from making any kind of meaningful or useful statements and closing yourself off from like actually iterating towards correct beliefs. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think that's yeah, the what I what I think is the mind virus of relativism is something I've been thinking a lot about that I need to consolidate and do some reading on. Uh, and then we'll talk about that on the pod. Yeah, I was reading a, a summary of uh, Twelve Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson earlier today. Um oh, yeah. he talks about he talks about his he's a very anti relativistic vibe. Yeah, I think like, he also uh, doesn't like it. There are fundamental truths and there there are fundamental moralities and you know, it's not just the case of, you know, do whatever suits you and you know, you do you and as long as you're not harming anyone it's all good. Uh type vibes. It's a, nice. A somewhat uh, like uh, you know, somewhat right-leaning <laughs> sort of ideology. I think we're seeing a bit of a resurgence um towards traditionalism in general. Uh, I've started seeing it on Twitter, which is, you know, the the hub of all inter- of all human knowledge, of course. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the hub, but I think it's the precipice. It's where it's where the change begins. Like well, once you start like seeing whack jobs say <laughs> weird things on Twitter, <laughs> it kind of grows from there, <laughs> and then eventually large swaths of society are now saying saying those things, and it's no longer like a whack job thing to say. But I'm definitely seeing a bit of a pushback against, um, yeah, modernism. Postmodernism, okay, hang on. whatever what, those what do things you, mean. What, what do you I mean? Don't, I don't know. Dude. <laughs> it's gonna be like, what the hell I don't about? know, dude. I mean, just like the whole trad thing, <laughs> the whole trad movement. What, you, what, you know what, what's the trad movement? <laughs> trad, all right, trad is short for like traditional or whatever. <laughs> okay. And like, there seems but, like, to be enforced gender roles and, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's sort of like, uh, I, I think the sense is that in, in, you know, there were real problems with the traditional ways of thinking and living. And in correcting for those, we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And now there's a bit of like a correction back in the opposite direction where maybe we're starting to see the wisdom of some of the old ways of doing things. Obviously not like all of them are not like to the same degree. Um, but, you know, there's there's like a, a bit of a recorrection back in that direction. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of related to the sort of IQ curve meme. I, I think you mentioned the one of like, uh, you know, the, the dimwit is like, Oh yeah, just nine to five job, wife and kids. <laughs> it's all about family. <laughs> and uh, then the midwit is like, no man, four hour work week, <laughs> digital nomad. <laughs> family is stupid. I'm in a polyamorous relationship in a in a polycule. <laughs> That's what they called polycule. <laughs> you know, oh, nice. stuff. And then the uh, the smart, the high wit. What, what's actually the, the smart person called? No idea. On, on the thing. Yeah, whatever. Then the smart person's like, yeah, stable job, <laughs> wife and kids, it's all about the family and local community, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, I, I think that get, that is like a nod to the slight resurgence towards uh, traditionalism. Anyway, whatever. Uh, that's for, that's uh, another topic for another day. All right, I think, uh, I think we'll start to wrap things up there. Let's read out a review. I'll do the honors. Fantastic. Oh, we had a funny one this week. Ah, uh, yeah, this is funny. Uh... Okay, it's a four-star review. It's entitled "Thoughtful, comma insightful, comma and dot dot dot." It's by Josh eight one three in the United States of America. It's Josh uh, Josh one through eight one two were taken. Tough tough world. Very Josh's. good. Very good. Anyway, the review is pompous. 
man, these guys are pompous. You can tell they are a couple of upper-class lads from the UK, born into privilege, maybe an assumption, but perhaps a correct one. A lot, lot of uh, delusional hedging. Yeah, hedging there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe an assumption, but perhaps a correct one. No, I'm not trying to shit on um, you here, Josh. I'm just trying to like uh, draw attention to the thing that we talked about in the episode, uh, to be clear. Uh, people of their ethnicity... Oh, this, this is a weird statement. People of their ethnicity in the UK do not end up so highly educated and with secure employment without coming from means. I think that's interesting because neither Ooh. of us are securely employed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a weird statement. People of their ethnicity in the UK do not end up so highly educated and with secure employment uh, without coming from means. I mean, it's, yeah, statistically, probably true. Uh, infant, this is good. This is good. Infantile takes about the opposite sex are abound when the topic of dating or women in general is brought up. Perhaps it's an age issue, question mark. This comes off as misogynistic, although I do not think they are intentionally being misogynistic. Um, infantile takes about the opposite sex are abound. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, can see, I, can, I can see where you're coming from, for sure. Um, other than the annoying pompousness these two leak without realizing it, the podcast is thoroughly enjoyable and a must listen if you are into gathering insight into the human condition, frameworks, and philosophical pondering. Um, <laughs> wow. What a, a great review. review. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Thank you, Josh. That was great. Thanks for keeping it real. Thanks for calling us out on the infantile takes on, uh, on uh, dating and women. Um, yeah, that was cool. I, yeah. I like the style of review. I, I wish all reviews were of that style. All right. Oh, crap. We've got to do a, we've, we forgot to do a sponsor segment for this. Oh, it's brilliant. We can just use your, we can, we, we can use your recycled plug. Yeah, we'll use your recycled plug. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Not Overthinking, and we'll see you next time. Bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, We'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.